Welcome to today's Word of Mom Radio here on the Word of Mom Media Network. I'm your host, Dori DiCarlo, and you know we are here week after week, show after show, breaking those myths that mompreneurs and businesswomen, especially those of us working from home, that were just dabbling in between bake sales and getting our nails done, we're not. We are smart, we are savvy, and we are sharing the wisdom of women in business and in life, and I'm looking forward to sharing today's guest and this topic. Jenny Black is a licensed marriage and family therapist in the state of Tennessee, the founder of Media Trauma Care, and the author of Inner Technology, How to Be a Human in a Digital World. Jenny is currently writing a new book, Our Digital Soul, Mental Health, Media Trauma, and Our Relationship with the Digital World, and in production on a documentary about the same topic. And I just find this so fascinating because we live in this digital world and we need to realize how to be human in it. So with that being said, Jenny, so I want you to take us on your journey that led you to writing this book. So about six years ago, I had, my kids were, in ninth grade and 11th grade. My daughter was in ninth grade and my son was in 11th grade. They were some of the first iPhone kids. So the iPhones didn't really come out until they were in middle school. So I always say they were guinea pigs, but we were also guinea pigs of not knowing what this was really going to become or how it was going to help or harm our kids. So I really wasn't focused on my kids in terms of, I, I always cared about, like I didn't want them to have phones until they were older they definitely had boundaries around time. I never had much concern with my, the content that my kids were watching or, or participating in. I had a really positive um, perspective on specifically Instagram and Facebook. I was, one of, I was one of the first people to join that I knew. And I definitely was the first mom who let my kids be on those platforms. I really thought they had some amazing potential for good thing that they have brought about. And I wanted my kids to be a part of it as young as possible. I wanted them to know how to function in it and how to, I wanted to be in it with them. So that was a big deal for me. I would tell parents, let your kid get, um, get an account. I think my daughter had an Instagram account when she was in fifth grade and I followed her and she followed all my friends. And I was like, guys, this is a really amazing opportunity to get to be in our kid's world in a way that we couldn't. So you're right there. You're going to get be friends with their friends interact with them and, you know, comments and likes and stuff like that. And really, really assumed the best about it. I really did. And thought it was my job as a parent to equip my kids as best as possible, how to function in that space. And I loved it. It was it's kind of what I'd been missing my whole life. Like I knew how to work it. I knew how it was like, I could finally be in touch with everyone. I could post about all the things that were happening in my life. And that sort of lonely, isolated mom world now had an audience that like thought I was the best mom ever. And I loved it. And I had a private practice at the time. My husband had 
two or three different jobs. My kids were both in private school. Our lives were like just insane. I mean, they just didn't stop. You just woke up and you hit the ground and you ran. And I was deaf. I definitely knew that I was hitting burnout, but I just thought our lives were too busy, too full. So I took a sabbatical from my practice and kind of cleared my calendar of everything. So my kids would, we actually sold our house, moved into an apartment. Like I simplified our lives as much as humanly possible. My kids would go to school every day. And I had put a message on my phone saying, I'm on a digital sabbatical. I'm a technology sabbatical, I think is what I said. And every day I would wake up and put it in a drawer and check it sometime later in the evening. And what happened for four months of my sabbatical, I found myself realizing I couldn't get a break. I could not take a break. It didn't matter that I wasn't working. It didn't matter that my kids weren't in school. I was so accessible and so available that all I was doing was setting boundaries with my phone and feeling a tremendous amount of anxiety when my phone was in the drawer all day of like, what am I missing? And what consequence am I going to suffer for having not been managing it all day? And that was really kind of messing with my head because it wasn't my job. I wasn't making money doing it. And for most of us, we associate, well, that's my work or that's my children. It wasn't. And so I had this clear picture of what am I doing all this work for? What is it that I'm managing? So four months into my sabbatical, I was really like, wow, I really thought I'd be doing better by now. But I guess whatever dream I had of some sublime inner peace that I was going to find on this sabbatical, I did not find. But that's life, right? And I'm kind of an idealist. So I'm always coming to terms with that. And um, I woke up one morning, turned my phone on to check my messages, and my phone didn't turn on. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't have to manage my phone today. So I, that day, had the best day of my life. I was like, I don't, I'm not going to get it fixed today. The whole world is going to move on without me having my phone. And I, then the next day, it was such a great day. I was like, I'm not fixing it for another day. And I did not fix it for an entire month. So I had no phone for an entire month and every day kept getting better. I went on three different trips during that time. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is the best trip I've ever been on. I was having conversations, meeting people, um, having some experiences with myself that I was like, I've never been this happy before. I've never felt this free. But the whole time I thought it was because my sabbatical was pay finally paying off. Like, oh, this is the breakthrough that I was looking for. So the end of that month, that's one of my favorite things that I said to myself, the irony just makes me laugh. I said, okay, Jenny, it's time to get back to the real world, get your phone fixed and get back to the real world. So in my mind during that time, not being on my phone was a fantasy world and being back on my phone was the real world. And so I needed to be responsible and I needed to go get back on it. So I went down to the cell phone store, got everything fixed immediately. As soon as my phone lit up and I had all, all the messages and all the missed calls and all the whatever, I was just like, oh my gosh, like, I hate this life, but this is my life. Like, I didn't think I had any choice in the matter. Um, that kind of 
the hum of anxiety and that like cloud of depression just like came over and it was like, okay, the fun is over. Now it's time for you to get back to this. So I got back to it and I did all the stuff and I was like, which I always say is like the worst thing, like when you've explicit and then you have to go back. Like if you've never experienced it, you kind of don't know if it's really there, but I had experienced it. And now I was back and just life was blah. And I was once again, feeling like I was just making it through a day, just getting through a day, counting to the end of something. I couldn't figure out what I was counting to the end of until it was all over. And my life, until my life was over, I was just counting down. Then I could finally relax. <laughs> enjoy myself and I um let's see I had it for April May and June and then early one July morning I went to turn on my phone in the morning and I was like oh shoot I left it in my car I went out to my car and it had been stolen and immediately it was like the sky the sun clouds parted sun came out birds started singing and I was like oh my god I can have my life back again it's not, I, there's nothing I can do. I can't fix the phone this time. Like it's gone. And that was the moment I realized, oh my gosh, this is about my phone. This is about my phone. It's not about my relationship. It's not about my boundaries. It's not about my work. It's not about my family. It's not about money. This is a, something is happening in my relationship with this phone that is severely messing with my mental health. So I didn't have a phone for four years after that and basically just determined I'm going to figure out there has to be a way I can create a life, a good life and be a responsible member of society and not have to live with this. And so I've just done all sorts of crazy experiments for that. And in the meantime, because I didn't have a phone for the first time since my kids were little, I was a hundred percent available and paying attention to what was going on with them, which since I had gotten a phone, I'd stopped paying attention to and that's when I started seeing and noticing how it was impacting them and researching basically how it was impacting all of us and making the correlations of all the things I know about therapy and trauma and mental health and um, applying them to ways that we can be mentally healthy and be in this digital world. You know, it's so interesting. And again, for me, you know, holiday time, when I put up that out of office message, it means my phone is gone. I literally take social media and my email off my phone. So the only people who are getting in touch with me are my kids or my family. And if I am doing something, I am happy to leave my phone. It's, it's the most freeing thing. So I so totally relate to what you are saying because, and I know for some people it's traumatic for them not to have that. What is media trauma? I've been hearing about that. Well, let me say, first of all, it was very traumatic for me in the beginning. I was, I was definitely addicted to my phone and it's still very, it's still a very powerful um, pull for me. I don't have a, a smartphone, but I have an iPad that is attached that has cell service. And so it's very big. So it's, I don't, I'm not going to carry that on a walk or, you know, just pick it up in the middle of the conversation. And that was kind of my goal to make it big enough that it interrupted my life the way that it actually does interrupt my life. And it's, it's not convenient. Um, but basically what we were seeing, what we're still seeing in a lot of therapy is when people go to therapy, they are working on very real world therapists were trained and people were trained 
to do therapy around real world situations. Um, how can I say that? Things that are happening IRL, right? In the real world. So childhood trauma, um, complications with uh, relationships with family members or friends, um, things like OCD, anxiety, depression. We would look at your real life, right? And that's, that's what we would use to say, um, these are the contributing factors or these are the vulnerabilities of your personality. But now um, I would say most people's trauma and difficulties is actually happening in and through their personal media use. And I think it'll be, so if, if somebody comes into therapy and they want to talk about their relationship with their mom and we want to go all the way back, you know, to their childhood, their dynamics, blah, 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 all the kind of more stereotypical things you'd think that you were talking about in therapy, we could, we could unpack some of these like more complicated dynamics. But if we miss that, the difficulty in your relationship with your mom today has to do with what she posts on Facebook that makes you angry, then we will never, ever get to the heart of it because it's, it's, there's a new issue that's happening now that has nothing to do with childhood stuff. We can't even, we can't even get there. And every single thing from text to any kind of social media interaction, if you are engaging with another human through that Space, then you have a medium that is also participating in your conversation. It's not just the two of you, right? You may have people witnessing it because it's a public conversation that has comments on it, or you have an algorithm that has a, a secondary motivation in the communication that's happening. And so you aren't getting a pure experience of your mom or your friend or your boyfriend if media is involved. And so without that education, we are holding each other responsible for things that another human is not doing or saying. And so that's what media trauma is. Media trauma is basically saying there's another element to what's going on with us right now with our relationships and our mental health that is not, oh, I just have a mental health issue. It's that there is something at play that's actually contributing to this. And until we acknowledge and see that there is this lens and interceptor in between us and the people that we're interacting with, we will, we're not ever going to be okay. Like we won't get healthy and we certainly won't have healthy relationships. Never thought of it in that way. Wow. I, you know, I feel so fortunate that my kids, my space just began when my oldest was a senior in high school and I'll never forget because the computer, our family computer was in my office. So if my kids were online, I right. was there. And he was putting up a MySpace page. And I was like, what are you doing? Oh, this is so cool. And it's a great way to make friends. Take that down right now. You want to make friends, you can make them in school. You can make them on the ball field, at church, you know, at the park. You don't need to go online to find friends. So I didn't, you know, my kids didn't get into social media until they were adults and they are rarely online. They are not people, you know, I'm online because I live online and we have a radio show and a business and everything else. But it's amazing to me, the things that parents put up about their kids and never thought right. of it from that media trauma kind of element where when you are talking to a child, 
you don't even get to get to the trauma of childhood and stuff like that because you're going through the digital trauma. Never, I'm serious. I'm, I'm just flattergasted, and it makes so much sense all at the same time. Mm-hmm. It really does because what do you do? You know, what do you do for, for your child? What do they need from you for, for that not to happen? That's the question, isn't it? It is. It is. I mean, this is such a big conversation. I was with um, a couple of friends this weekend who one was saying how she'd run into a friend whose 15 year old daughter was on a date with her boyfriend. And she said, they are having a really hard time. She just texted me from the date and said, they are just having an awful time trying to figure out how to be together because their entire relationship is texting and they're now together in person. And that is so vulnerable and scary. And they don't really know how to, to interact. And that's so, I'm hearing so much of that. And then the other friend said, parents have got, they're the only ones who can do something about this. Like parents need to, to say no and to set boundaries or whatever. And I was like, oh my gosh, do I wish that that was the answer. But unfortunately, parents are really at a huge disadvantage because we, the adults on, on deck right now, we are the ones who allowed a culture to be defined for our kids. So now if, you are the, if you're the one parent who doesn't let your kids have a phone or doesn't let them be on social media, they literally have no idea what's going on in their world. They are isolated. Both of my kids will say they go on many different, they'll take breaks from their phones or social media for periods of time. And both of them will say there's nothing more lonely than being the only one in the room who's not on the phone. That getting on your phone is a way of numbing out from the pain that you're with people who aren't with you. That's the culture that we live in right now. And I do, I do think if you, if your kids are under a certain age that, you know, young children, that I would just do everything in my power for them to be off of it, to have as much chance for a childhood as possible. My son is 22 and he and his friends say they were the last generation to have a childhood and to just defend and protect your kids' innocence and childhood and real life experiences as much as possible. But once, at least right now, which I am, I am the, the optimist and idealist in me is hoping with everything in me that something happens and these incredibly dark underworlds that our kids are, have to function in, in order to be of age right now, that something changes. Cause they're very, they're very unsafe places, not just for like the creepy things, they're unsafe. They're, they're not taking care of our kids' minds and heart and they're not giving our kids opportunities to have real relationships with each other and and they're suffering tremendously because of it tremendously i don't think parents can do a lot if their kids in middle school or high school right now i don't think there's a lot of things that they can do i mean ideally they wouldn't be on it at all but ideally no one would so there would be other friends that weren't on it however i do think you can limit as much time as possible i've from the kids that i've worked with and working with my own kids you can spend about an hour on a social media app and get what you need to get as far as like, okay, I think I know what's going on with everybody or feel like I'm staying in touch with everybody and, and then get back to your life the rest of the time. And also one of the things I always tell parents is create a world that your kids want to be in. Your kids want to be with you. They want to spend time with you. And if you 
are available for conversation or games or a walk or watching a movie together, they would choose that over social media most of the time. They have chosen social media because there was nothing else available to them. And that's the only way that they could find and connect with people. On that note, let that sink in, please. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in just a moment here on Word of Mom Radio. Hi, this is Charlotte Felcher, and welcome to Kid Fun. I'm going to offer a very easy tip for having fun with the kids that comes from my book, Kid Fun, 401 Easy Ideas for Play. Kids love forts. It's very easy to make a fort. Actually, if you have a carton in the house, that's a great fort. They can play in it. They can have a sandwich in it. They can read a book in it. They can bring their stuffed animals in it. But another great way to have a fort is to take a sheet and place it over the kitchen table or the dining room table and then crawl under it. You and the kids, and you can make it a library. Have story time or a cafe and have a sandwich. That's my kid fun tip for today. You can get more information like this in my book, which is available at kidfunandmore.com. She is brave. She is strong. She is you because you're that woman who's got a product or a service that you're looking to promote or you're out there seeking to support other women in business to help women learn, network, and build the businesses of their dreams because when you win, we win. We all know a survivor. Some of our friends and family have made it through difficult times. Some of us don't make it. Losing a loved one to cancer, a car accident, or any other unfortunate event can be crippling and unavoidable. But one of the hardest subjects to talk about is suicide. Too often, our youth decide that leaving this place is easier than facing the struggle forced upon them every day. More than one in four children go through some form of bullying or another. Most of us survive with scars, but for some... The inner demons created cannot be recognized or treated in time to ensure they make it through. Bullying in every form is very much avoidable. It starts with me and it starts with you. This is Kelly Carius from No Such Thing as a Bully reminding you to do your part when you see bullying happen. If you don't know what that is, call 403-447-4404 or go to nosuchthingasabully.com. Don't let the name fool you because stadiumbags.com has a line of clear bags that enable you to use your phone and your smart devices without removing them from your bag. Not only that, but the product is so good it'll stand up to the cleaning solvents that you need to use now to make sure that when you come home, you come home safely. So take a look at stadiumbags.com. You'll see why we're your clear choice because safety it's in the bag. And we're back on Word of Mom Radio. We are talking with Jenny Black, and we are talking about life in the digital world. You know, I feel really fortunate that my kids are old and my grandchildren are young because, you know, I'm hoping by the time Danny and Edie are old enough that we've gotten a handle on all of this and our lives aren't living on social media. we're a computer world, you know, my grandson loves his games and his apps, and if you're going to use it for learning, it is what it is. I prefer, you know, hands-on and books and things like that. So when he's with me, you know, he's with me. But for parents now, how do you partner with your kids to help them manage that digital world? Well, it's 
always been important to pay attention to your kids, of course. But I, I thought when I was parenting that the older my kids got, the more freedom they would have, um, the less, like if I did my job when they were young, they were going to be okay and be more independent the older they got. I was unprepared for what did happen in their high school years, what was happening for all of us digitally and how the, the changes that social media was making. And of course, no one, not even the people who designed it could have anticipated the implications that it would have. So I learned and I became a therapist. I'm a marriage and family therapist so that I could know how to take care of my family. <laughs> like I really thought I could read enough books. I could learn <laughs> enough information to be like, I'm going to do this right. Parenting during this time in society is one of the most humbling things in the world. There's, there's absolutely no way you can be prepared for it. I think parents need to know that therapists are feeling as overwhelmed and out of their league as parents are feeling. Like the things that these kids are facing are complex, horrific, unsolvable, they're, they're almost in a trap. I mean, it's just story after story of these things that kids are going through because they do live primarily online. Their social lives are almost all primarily online. And it's almost like when they're in real life together. I mean, you see it. They're still on their phones, more than likely commenting or posting on something than being able to have a conversation face to face. And this is just a fun little story. I was leading this group with a bunch of adolescent girls. And at the beginning of the group, I had them break into pairs of two where they had to do a listening exercise. So I would set a timer for one minute and one person would talk for one minute, introducing themselves, saying three interesting things about themselves to the other person. This is just classic icebreaker thing. Nothing serious, nothing deep, whatever. The timer would go off and then the other person would talk and the, that person would, would listen. They had to make eye contact and listen and remember the three things, right? So each person has a job for one minute. It was two minutes. That's 120 seconds. And then the, the goal was that they afterwards, they would introduce each other, right? This is just how the group is meeting each other. This is the kind of thing we did in college and youth group my whole life. When we finished doing it, they were so blown away. They had not had that level of connection or intimacy that they couldn't remember how long. They had not ever felt that vulnerable because they're used to telling the internet things about themselves all the time, all the world, all the people, but they're not used to anyone ever listening. And they, all of them said, I was so uncomfortable with someone paying that much attention to me for 60 seconds. So you're, they're living in this space that's all about attention. I just need attention. I just want attention because that's the commodity of social media. And yet here they were in real life, just being listened to by another human for 60 seconds. And they could almost not bear the vulnerability of that experience, including that they weren't in control of how the other person perceived them. They couldn't edit themselves. So that's the other little piece of it. They're used to controlling the image that they put out there. And that to me, that little story is like so telling of how, how much they're dealing with, how much they're going through and putting out and how little they're getting back. They're not getting any of the true deep interpersonal relationships 
And that's not even deep. That's just basic interpersonal skills are not being met. So if you think of that as a parent, that you, you could give your kids 60 seconds of I see you, I hear you, or even talking about yourself, telling your kid three things about yourself for 60 seconds could be something they haven't experienced in years. It's so sad to me. I, I was out eating with my middle son and his wife. And they are my, my hippie kids. I have two hippie kids and my technology kids. And there we are, the three of us, having this great conversation over dinner. And I'm looking, and families are sitting there. They've got their little kids, have their tablets, and they're watching a movie. And the parents are on their phone. And I just, you know, it, it makes me want to go around and go, can't you guys even have a meal? And just, the, you have an electronic babysitter for your child. How about you get some crayons? Remember when you went to the restaurant and they gave you crayons mm -hmm. for your placemat and you could draw? It's sad to me. It, well, it, but yeah. I haven't heard it expressed this way on a child's level that it was so uncomfortable for them to actually be interacting and looking at someone in the face you know, I'm making eye contact for 120 seconds. How, as parents, do we break this? I, I mean, I always tell parents, like, do your own work first. Put your own phone down. If, if your kids are around, do not be on a device unless you are like, hey, mom's working, you know, and it's there's some clear understanding of what's happening. But if it's in any kind of casual way and your kid is around, do not have your device around. Have a book have a journal, like it's not that you can't do stuff, but don't have a phone and see how one, you actually start seeing, you watch your kid veg out and you're like, wait, what are they doing? They're not doing anything because when I'm vegged out, I don't see that they're vegged out, right? Like I don't see or notice, uh, we, we all lose time. We all go to that other space. So do your own work, set your own boundaries. It's a joke for any of us to say that adolescents are the ones that have issues with addiction and phones. We just might have it in different ways. And it, we're the ones who are responsible for creating this world for them and not looking out for them and the dangers that have happened. And so set your own boundaries, get your own life. One of my friends, she was addicted to her phone. She has four little kids, but she was only looking at the weather app and her calendar. So she wasn't even like on social media or anything. And still she was checking it all the time, right? Because that's kind of the nature of the device. You, it gives you those clicks and feedback and it regulates something. And also when you're bored, you can kind of distract yourself with this. So she was like, this is ridiculous. This is actually becoming a problem. And who on earth is addicted to the weather and calendar app? Like this is also kind of pathetic. So she makes a decision, I think, to put her phone away for four hours a day. And her kids are all home, little ones. And she buys a tiny little kid's set of watercolors. And she starts watercoloring during those four hours. So her kids are still around, you know, doing all the normal mom things. But when she has downtime, instead of picking up her phone, she starts picking up these watercolors. And she just starts painting. And her kids cannot wait to see what she's painting. They don't want to do anything else but watch her paint. They keep coming with new things to tell her to paint. And one of the little ones said, mom, you paint like a wild woman. 
So her, her choice to leave the digital space and engage herself and her reality, it changed her, which is exactly what happened to me. I became so alive. I was having so much fun that my kids were like, I want to do what mom's doing. They will join you because all of a sudden you're like, Hey, do y'all want to play a game? Because I kind of bored. I don't have anything to distract myself with. They want to enter into the real world and they really want to be with adults deeply, deeply. They want to be with adults. So do your own work around setting boundaries around your phone and you'll, you'll have much more empathy on how hard it is, what you want them to do in terms of setting boundaries. But also the more you're available for connection, the more you'll see that that's what they're, that's what they're looking for. That's why they're getting on their phone. That's what, that's the deep need. You know, I've had, my grandchildren are with me one day a week, each one of them. And I have two sets of glasses. The glasses I'm wearing right now are my purple glasses. These are my working glasses. And from the time Danny was two months old, I would tell him, you know, if I put these on, this is because Mimi has to work for a minute. So let me get my work done. And then I take off my glasses. When we read, my frames are green. And those are our reading glasses. And he knows before bedtime, whether he's napping here or spending the night, we have our five books that we read. And we have our set routine, but it was so funny over the holidays last year, I had gotten sick. We weren't sure if I had COVID or not. And so I was in quarantine waiting for my test results. I didn't have it, but you know, I'm uber cautious and we were online doing a zoom, you know, we would do FaceTime so we could see each other. I had been talking to actually one of our show hosts and she was showing me her artwork and I had these glasses on. And so now Danny's call comes in and he comes and he's like, hi, me, no, working glasses off, off. And I had to take my working glasses off. And when I took them off, then he was like, hi, Mimi. I'm like, hi, Danny. He is to him that these are my working glasses and I was supposed to be talking to him. I wasn't supposed to be working. Sorry, I love that. I I'm going to use that in every talk from this point on. Oh. That is so brilliant. That is so brilliant. Oh, well, thank you. You know what? It, it's so funny because Edie's a year and a half and I started with her because now she's old enough and I had something I had to do. And I was like, no, no, no. Mimi has her glass. And as soon as I finish, like the second I am done, I take them off. She comes running over to play, <laughs> but it's, you know, the visual cues. Those yes, little things that's wonderful. you can do. I'm, I'm glad that, that you find that good. Oh, I love it. Share that with, your, with people. That's, that's thank awesome. Thank you so much. My pleasure. So as we're wrapping up, Jenny, what do you want to leave our listeners with? And please let them know how to reach out to you. Sometimes I don't know what I'm supposed to do as a parent. <laughs> Almost all of the time, I don't know what I'm supposed to do as a parent. My kids' problems are just way beyond um, any any of the the resources that I have to offer them. And I had read this. I knew the research of this was, I knew there was research behind it. So I'm going to share this research with you because it is what saved me as a parent. And that is that when your kids are in pain, and this, this can be true for anybody, it could it could be any person, but we're talking about being a mom right now. So when your kids are going through something, we think that we're supposed to fix it. We want them to be out of suffering. We don't want them to be 
in pain. And a lot of times we minimize their pain because we can't handle that we don't have a clue what to do about it. Um, so the first thing is when your kid tells you something's wrong, believe them. I hear that from kids all the time. They're not being dramatic. You, you cannot fathom the things your, get, your kids are going through, especially if they're um, a online a lot. Um, and most of the time they won't tell you because not because they're trying to keep secrets, but because they don't even know it's a bad thing. Like they don't even know enough to say this terrible thing happened to me because it's just normal. It's normal for everybody. And they also, the other thing that we see a lot with kids is that they don't want their parents to know how terrible it is. So there's some protection. They don't want their, their parents to know some of the darkness that they're dealing with. They don't want to ruin their parents' day, right? So believe your kid when they say something's wrong. And sometimes the only thing you can do, and maybe the only thing you need to do is to lean in and touch them. So put your hand on their leg, hold their hand, whatever, put your hand on their face and look in their eyes and say, I don't know what to do. I have no idea how to help you, but I'm right here and I'm not going anywhere and I won't go away until you're okay. And that is the first time that I did that. My daughter was 15 and I was so familiar with the research. I was so overwhelmed by how much I couldn't help her. And I, I wanted to distance myself from her. I just kind of wanted to be like, hey, you go cry in your room. You go figure this out and get back with me when you've settled in. And I remember that moment when I was like, do it, do it. You, the research says this will actually help her. But I was so scared that it wouldn't be enough. I was so scared that it wouldn't be enough that I almost didn't do it. And I did it. And it was enough. It was enough and it continues to be enough and that you don't have everything that your kid needs, but you do have everything that your kid needs. And to be able to hold both of those and lean in and just be present with your kid when they're hurting, when they're happy, that is what's going to heal them. And it's what's going to give them the resilience and resources they need to face the obscene challenges that they, that people their age have never had to face before. I'm so grateful that you have to share what you are doing and so want you to come back when your second book comes out. I would love to. Because love this to. is, it's so important and it is so important for parents to understand that we don't need to know everything and it's okay to tell our kids, I don't know. I don't know, but I'm here. I'm here. We'll figure it out together, mm -hmm. you know, because so often our kids feel so alone. They are. They are so alone. They are and so alone. It's, it's, it's an overwhelming feeling. It is an overwhelming feeling. And as a parent, all you can do is let them know that even though you feel like you're alone and, and I can't go through this for you, but I can go through it with you. Mm -hmm. I can mm -hmm. be there with you. So the links will be live to be able to get Jenny's book. And I really encourage you to get it. It's an easy read and it makes so much sense. It really does because you're right. Our, our kids are growing up in a world that we don't know. This is a whole new world. And like I said, I'm so fortunate, you're fortunate that our kids were the last of the kids 
to actually have a real childhood, mm-hmm. that they got to, you know, they were just outside and doing things, and we need to get our kids back to that. We really do. We need to get them back to the fact that it's a phone. It's not your life. You know, it's hard. It's just hard because everything is so accessible now. It just is, you know. But hopefully these conversations um, will help people have new conversations and start realizing what the real problem is. And the problem isn't their kid. True. How can people reach out to you, Jenny? Yeah, so you can find me at mediatrauma.com. That's where you can buy the book. You can email me from that website. And I would love to hear from you. I offer workshops for parents for any kind of business on stress and media and burnout and how to um, how to set boundaries with your technology so that you can get all the benefits that it has to offer us without being harmed basically I thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us today I really do Uh, and for all of you tuning in thank you so much for being here with us we're going to close out with our fabulous theme song from Smith Sisters and the Sunday Drivers. So till next time, this is Dory DiCarlo saying go out and create a marvelous you. Bye for now. She is sure. She is-